you have your Bibles, open up to James chapter 3 this morning. James chapter 3. As Jim mentioned, both Pastor Harley and Pastor Paul are not feeling well this weekend. And uh, I got a text on Friday and uh, had a sermon ready, thank the Lord, right? You never know what's going to take place, so always have one in your back pocket is what they say. But I didn't finish James chapter 3 a few weeks ago, so we get to finish it today. And uh, looking forward to what God has in store. I went camping this weekend, so if you hear it in my voice, that's why. So if my voice goes out, I don't know what's going to happen, so we'll see. I'm going to try to talk fast and see how it goes. I haven't been camping since I was five or six years old. And these guys wanted to go, and I said, now, are we going to get like a camper or something like that? You know, like, are we going to, and they said, no, that's glamping. They said, that's what Vince Burroughs and, and Earl Miller do, okay? They said, that's not really camping. They said, we're going to rough it. And I said, what do you mean by roughing it? And they said, well, we're going to actually put a tent out and put sleeping bags down. And I said, well, where's the heat going to come from? They said, a fire. <laughs> and uh, so, anyway, I was taken back by that and uh, learned a lot this weekend. I learned that I'm going to go glamping now with Vince and Earl, all right? So, uh, I don't think I'll be camping any time soon. But I enjoyed my time. Uh, but you never know when you're sitting around a fire how your voice is going to do. So, uh, praying that it stays around. And if you will, just pray with me over that. We've been in a series on the book of James And uh, looking at how we can spiritually mature, how we can put our faith into action. We're not just called to become Christians, we're called to live out what it means to be a Christian. And James' concern is that. He wants us to put our faith into action. He wants us to live it out. And he's gone through many different topics, many different issues. In fact, In fact, he'll discuss, by the end of the book, he'll discuss about every area of the Christian life. And today we're going to focus on the tongue. Because here's the deal. If you really want to look at your spiritual life, it begins with the way you speak. Because out of your mouth is what is in your heart. The Bible makes that clear. And so James wants us to learn how to control our tongues so that we can become more like Christ. And a few weeks ago, we began by looking at uh, the topic of the tongue, and I argued that James' main point was this. If we want to spiritually mature and grow in the Christian life, it takes place when we watch what we say. It takes place when we watch what we say. But we have to learn how to do that. And we looked at the two things concerning the tongue that James brings out that we have to understand in our life. And the first one is that the tongue is powerful. It influences. It controls. You can control a lot of things. Really, most things in this life is controlled by the tongue. You control the narrative. It doesn't matter what's right and wrong. You control it because the tongue is powerful. The tongue is also perverse. Number two, we looked at that a few weeks ago. The tongue is perverse. It's untamable. You can't control it without the power of Jesus Christ in your life. And today we're going to look at the third and final thing we need to understand as Christians today. And I want to say this. It's a touchy subject. What I'm going to say today needs to be addressed, though, especially in the church and among Christians. And so I'm going to say a few things that uh, may uh, hurt 
And I want you to know, not only does it hurt you, but it has also hurt me. I've learned as a pastor that you cannot preach something to your congregation until it has been preached to yourself. And so I want to say that all of us are guilty of what I'm about to say because we are sinners. But because of the grace of God, we can overcome these things. And so I want to address a few things. So if you have some tomatoes, make sure to hang on to those until Pastor Harley gets back. Glad you got that one. When Hannah and I first got married, uh, we started in ministry out the gate, and we loved it. But one thing, as I've talked about several times, is that we are two different personalities. I'm an extrovert. She's an introvert. I get excited and pumped up when I'm around people. She gets drained. And so we had to learn the first six months of our marriage how to talk to each other, especially after church, all right? So we'd go to church, and I'd be pumped up talking about everything going on, all the exciting things. She'd go in the car and would not want to talk for two hours, and it would drive me nuts. And so I remember sitting across from her one day after I preached, and it was Christmas Eve, and I preached this sermon, and uh, just talking about basically blessing your neighbor and doing all these good things for people at Christmas time. And then I got in the car, and I said, Hannah, what'd you think about that? Well, of course, that was the wrong question to ask because I should have taken about 30 minutes before I asked anything. And uh, she looked at me and she said, I don't want to talk about it. I said, what are you talking about? Did you not just think your husband just preached the greatest sermon in the world? Can you not tell me that? She said, I don't want to talk about it. Well, I got a little angry at her. And literally in about 10 minutes from the time that I preached a sermon on blessings, I was over there speaking ill to my wife. Out of the same mouth came both blessings and cursings, just like that. And friend, to be honest with you today, we're guilty. All of us are guilty of the same thing. We can speak blessings out of one side of our mouths towards somebody and then go behind their back and speak cursings. And it happens all the time in the church. You know why? Because the mouth, as we'll see in a second, is polluted. It's full of pollution. It's mixed with terrible things. And so today we're going to look at the third and final point, and that is the tongue is polluted. It's not only powerful, it's not only perverse, but it is also polluted. It is filled with deadly poison. It is filled with things that it should not be filled with. I want you to notice now in James chapter 3, verse number 9, it says this, therewith Bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude, or in the likeness, in the image of God. Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. My brethren, notice now, these things ought not so to be. Doth a fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? Can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries, either a vine, figs? So can no fountain both yield salt water, and fresh water. Friend, today the Bible is going to declare that as a Christian, if you are going to spiritually mature, if you're going to watch what you say, you have to understand that your mouth is polluted. You have to guard what you say so that you can speak not blessing and cursings, but that you can just speak blessings over those who are around you. And by the way, By the way, that's not only important for a congregation like Gospel Baptist Church. It's not only important for your Christian brothers and sisters that you meet in this community, but it's also important for those who don't know Christ. 
There are many people out there. In fact, the world is watching Christians and how we act and what we say and how we behave. And if we are speaking one thing from the pulpit but acting differently out in the community, what does that say to a lost and dying world? You see, it affects not just we who are in here, but it also affects those who are out there heading to hell. Our tongues are powerful, perverse, and polluted. And we better be careful with what we say. Notice how James begins verse 9. He's very specific. He says that out of our mouths we speak blessings to God. Many of us today will walk into this room on a Sunday morning and we will sing praises to God out of our mouths. We will sing and then what will we do on Monday morning? We will walk into the restaurants, we will drive through the drive-thru and we will speak cursings because we're angry. See, James isn't silent when it comes to these issues. He knows that Christians deal with this problem. They will come in a Sunday morning service, a Wednesday night activity, and they'll shake the hands of their neighbors, and they'll speak blessings to them, and then the next day they'll walk behind their back, and what will they do? They will curse them. They will speak ill of them. You know, I've seen this many times in the church. Christians will hug you in the front, and then what will they do? They'll stab you in the back. Christians will hug you in the front, and they'll stab you in the back. Has that ever happened to you before? Better yet, have you done that? Have you been the Christian who hugs the Christian at church and instead goes behind their back later and stabs them. You see, friend, our mouths are polluted, and James is concerned that we take care of that. We are guilty many times of hugging in the front and stabbing in the back. And yet that isn't what Christians are called to be, as I've said many times. In fact, Jesus, in John chapter 13, if you look at the life of Christ, Christ is giving us command after command not to stab but to love, right? What does he say in John 13, verse 34? He says, a new commandment I give you, and that is to what? Love one another. And then if you go to the next verse, he says, not only are you to love one another, but how will people know that you are my disciples? By what? By stabbing them in the back? By gossiping? No, he says, you will know that you are my disciples. The world will know that you are my disciples by what? By the way you love each other. By the way that you care about each other. Now, by the way, love doesn't just include that of being a pushover. I'm not telling you that you got to be a pushover and you got to look past people's sins and you can't call out uh, the, the things that people are dealing with and you can't say that the world is uh, messed up and you can't uh, try to fight the issues. I'm not saying that love doesn't include that. See, love includes honesty. Love includes truth. If you really love somebody, you'll tell them the truth. You think about that for a second. If you really care about somebody, if you are really concerned about the needs of the person in front of you, you'll tell them the truth. You'll be honest with them. You'll tell them what is going on in their life, but you'll do it in a way that is compassionate. See, the problem is, is that many Christians today, what they'll do is they'll find themselves on either end of the spectrum. See, Christians will either be all truth and no love, or there'll be all love and no truth. And many times we hear the world say, well, God is love, right? But God is also truth. 
God is also righteous. God is also just. Well, God is love. Yes, God is love, but he's also just at the same time. There's not one moment where God is not just, and there's not one moment where God is just love. He's just and love at the same time. He's both truth and love, and we're called, friend, to be the same thing. To love somebody is to be honest with them. To love somebody is to be compassionate toward them. So I'm not saying to be a pushover. I'm just saying to love each other to care about each other, to be compassionate toward each other because that's exactly the way that Christ was, by the way. You think about the examples that Christ gives throughout the Gospels. I mean, over and over again, we see a a compassionate God, but a compassionate God who is honest. As I was reflecting on this throughout the past few days, I considered the story of the woman caught in adultery. In John chapter 7 and John chapter 8. Now, most of our manuscripts today actually do not include that in the uh, original text of Scripture. But I do think that it is an historical event that actually took place. I do believe that Christ actually interacted with a woman who was caught in adultery. And later it was included in the later manuscripts. But I still think, while it may not be inspired, it's a good story for us to consider when it comes to the ministry of Christ. John chapter 7, we find a woman literally caught in the act of adultery. The Greek there actually reflects that of somebody who would be hiding in a closet. Think about that. These Pharisees, these religious leaders, were hiding in a closet to catch this woman in the act. And they catch her in the act of adultery, and they bring her before Christ. And there before Christ, they say, Christ, Moses tells us in the Old Testament that we're to stone this woman. See, they're trying to catch Jesus off Guard, And by the way, that's a terrible place to be. I don't know about you. I'd never want to try to catch Jesus off guard and say, I got you. But they try to say, I got you, Jesus. What are you going to do? What are you going to do with this person who is caught in adultery? Moses says, stoner, should we do the same thing? And Jesus looks up at them, and what does he say? He says, ye who are without sin. In other words, if you have no sin, if you've never committed any sin, why don't you cast the first stone? The very person, by the way, who could cast the first stone is the person who doesn't. You think about that. The person who could throw the stone is the person who doesn't throw the stone. He says, if you're without sin, if you've never done anything wrong, why don't you cast the first stone? And what do the people do? The crowd, the Bible says in John chapter 8, they begin to actually uh, dissipate from the oldest to the youngest, and Jesus is left there with the adulterous woman. I believe this is actually an historical event. Jesus is left there with the woman, and he says, where are your persecutors, or where are those people that are throwing uh, anger against you? Where are the people who are speaking ill of you? And she says, they've gone, and Jesus looks up at her, and what does he say? He says, woman, I don't condemn you either, love, compassion, but then what does he say? Go and sin no more. He's honest. What is he? He's both love, I don't condemn you, I forgive you, but don't sin. I'm honest with you. See, many Christians today are on both ends of the spectrum. We can't find a balance. We will say, I don't condemn you. That sin's not a sin. You can do what you want. And then what we do, we don't say, "Mm, don't, don't do that. And then some of us on the other end are like, that's a sin. They're going to hell. I can't believe they're doing that. And where's the compassion? See, many of us are on the either end of the spectrum. 
We either tell too much truth or we have too much love. And the truth of the matter is, is that if we're going to be like Christ, we have to find that balance of both grace and truth. Love includes honesty. Love includes that of being real with the person in front of you. And friend, that's exactly how Jesus lived his life, and that is exactly how you and I should be. We should be honest. We should be loving. We should be compassionate. And by the way, that includes the people that aren't like you. Let me just be real here for a second. That includes the people you don't like. That, that includes the, the people that don't look like you. That includes the people that don't talk like you. That includes the people that don't do the things you do. They don't believe the things you do. They don't follow the same politician you do. They don't watch the same things you do. That includes your enemies is what I'm trying to get at. That includes the people who don't like you. That includes the boss that picks on you because of your religious beliefs. That includes the coworker who persecutes you because you believe in Jesus Christ. That includes the neighbor who has the flag for the politician that you don't agree with, friend. And you say, well, where are you getting at, Nick? Where are you getting at? Pastor Nick, where, where, where do you think you're getting off at? How can you say that? Well, I don't have to say it because Jesus has said it. You think about the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5. Verse 43, we won't go to it for sake of time, but what does Jesus say there? He says, love your enemies. By the way, the word love there has the idea of being generous, literally self-sacrificing towards your enemy. Love your enemy so much so that you're sacrificing what you have for their good. And then he says, what do you do? You pray for those who persecute you. When was the last time you got on your knees and prayed for the person who was persecuting you? I mean, literally, when was the last time you got on your knees and thanked the Lord that you were dealing with persecution? By the way, the Bible says that the godly person, 2 Timothy chapter 3, says the godly person, those who live godly lives will suffer persecution. Be thankful that you actually suffer persecution and pray for the person who's persecuting you. And, and then in Luke chapter 6, this is Luke's version of the Sermon on the Mount, Luke chapter 6, verse 27, he expands upon what Matthew says, and he says, I don't want you to just love your enemies, but Jesus goes on to say, I want you to do good to those who hate you. I want you to find every way possible in your life to do good to those who hate you. So you're saying, Pastor Nick, the, the coworker that is mean to me in the, in the staff meetings, you're telling me the boss who makes fun of me in front of everybody, you're telling me the parent at the school who criticizes me, you're telling me as a teenager the student that picks on me. Pastor Nick, you're telling me that I'm supposed to do good to them? I'm not telling you. Listen, I'm just the messenger. I'm just the herald of the king because the king has said to be loving, to care, to love those, to do good to those. Jesus has made it clear that our command, regardless of the way the person treats us, we are to love them. We're to care for them. We're not to hate them. We're to pray for them. So I want to ask you here for a second. How many of you are sitting in this room and have actually taken the time to pray for the person who has criticized you? 
How many of you have actually taken the time to get on your knees before the Lord and pray for the person who hates you? When you think about Jesus went to the cross for those who hated him. He, he went to the cross, and by the way, we believe that he paid for the sins of the world, not just a few people. He paid for the sins of the whole world. He paid for the sins of the very people who took him to the cross and hung him there. And he loved him that much to do that. And we struggle. I just want to be honest here for a second because I am included in the we there. We struggle to forgive the person who doesn't like us. We struggle to love the person who hates us. We struggle to love the person who has the political view that we don't take. Or better yet, the theological view, and that includes the atheist, the person who hates God or doesn't believe in God. That includes the people that aren't like us. We struggle to love them. And you say, well, Pastor Nick, it's difficult. You don't understand what they've said to me. You don't understand how they've treated me. You don't understand the things that I've gone through to get to where I'm at. And you're right. I don't understand every situation. I don't understand everything you're dealing with. I don't understand that, uh, that the things that you have gone through. And I don't, I don't mean that forgiveness always means reconciliation. There's a difference, Okay. Just because you forgive somebody, just because you love somebody, doesn't mean that it has to be reconciled and that you have to be best friends. Okay, But it does mean that you love them like Christ loved them. It does mean that you care for them and you try to do good to them even though they hate you. You say, well, Pastor Nick, that's too difficult. I mean, if you're like me, many times in your life, that's too difficult. That's hard for me to humble myself to the point that I actually have to care about the person who hates me. I love what Charles Spurgeon said, the famous London Baptist pastor in the 1800s. Somebody was asking him about being criticized, and he was criticized many, many times in his life. And he, he said this, he said, brothers if, if, and sisters, by the way, that would include all of us. He said, brothers and sisters, if somebody criticizes you, if they think ill of you, do not be angry with him. He says, don't be angry with her. For you are worse than they think you are. <laughs> That's good, isn't it? Because in reality, you are worse. Your sin is darker. Your heart is full of sin. Way more than what they see. Be thankful. Don't be angry at them because if they really knew the way you were, they could say way worse about you. See, all of us have skeletons in the closet that people don't see. And if people really saw those things, they could really say some terrible things about us so don't be angry at the person who criticizes you don't be angry at the person who gets mad at you be thankful that they don't know everything about you because if they did they could really condemn you and same thing for them if you really knew everything about them you could also condemn them be thankful it's a good reminder don't bite back don't criticize instead go to your knees thank the lord for what he's done for you because that's exactly by the way what Christ did for you. I mean, you think about what uh, the Lord Jesus Christ did on the cross for your sins. He went to the cross even when you, the Bible says, were enemies. We were enemies of the Savior. And what did he do? He went to the cross and paid for our sins. He forgave us, and not only did he forgive us, the Bible says he forgot about it. 
He forgot about our sins. He didn't bring them up. He took them, the Bible says, in Psalm 101. He took them as far as the east is from the west. Hebrews chapter, I want to read this verse to you. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 16 and 17. For sake of time, I'd encourage you to read that chapter. For sake of time, I want to just read a couple verses. It says this, I will write my laws. This is the Holy Spirit speaking about himself. He says, I will write my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins no more. No more. (laughs) Thank the Lord. Thank the Lord that he doesn't remember our sins. And we're called to do the same thing. If that doesn't convince you, by the way, if you're not convinced that uh, the Lord has forgotten your sins, when God looks at us, if we know Jesus Christ, I've said this before, when we come to know Jesus Christ, we are justified, we're declared righteous, we're given the righteousness of Christ, accredited to our account, praise the Lord, our sin account is drained, friend, and given to Christ. And guess what? The righteousness of Christ is drained and given to us. And so when God looks at us, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says, when God looks at us, he doesn't see sin, he sees the righteousness of God. And listen, if that doesn't get you excited, there's something wrong with you. He remembers no more. He forgives, and he calls us to do the same thing. We are called to forgive, and not only are we called to forgive, but we are called to forget. We are called to forget. Remember no more. You know, when somebody does something to you, I've said this before, I believe, here. If I haven't said it here, I've said it somewhere else. But I encourage people, when somebody says something to you that, that is critical or that you don't like, the first thing you should do is think about it. You should think about it because there might be some truth to that. It takes a big person to sit there and not critique them back. But sometimes you just need to sit there and think about it. Because if you're not careful, you'll spout off and say something you shouldn't. (laughs) I'm guilty of that. Uh, I'm married. You can ask my wife, all right? If I don't sit there and think about it, I'm in trouble. All right, you sit there and first think about it. Maybe there's some truth. Maybe God is using that person, even though they're an enemy, to teach you something. You think about it. Then what do you do? You pray about it. You pray about it. You get on your knees, and now notice this now. Not only do you pray about it, but then you forget about it. (laughs) You forget about it. You think about it, you pray about it, and then you forget about it, and you leave it to the Lord. Romans chapter 12 talks about how we are to leave revenge, not with ourselves, but to leave it with the Lord. And instead, do good. Literally, try to find something good to do. And if you can't find anything good to do, let me encourage you to take a pen out, write a letter, and throw it away. (laughs) If you can't think about anything good to do to the person who has sinned against you, let me encourage you, don't do anything at all, okay? Because that's probably something good. (laughs) Not to condemn them. Not to throw it in their face. See, we've been called to live as Christ would live. And he lived in such a way to forgive and to forget. To forgive and to forget. Verse 10. Verse 10, I'll move quickly here. Verse 10. James says, out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. And then he gives the remedy. Notice here, he says this. He says... My brethren, these things ought not so to be. In other words, stop doing it. Oh, it's simple. 
Don't let blessings and cursings proceed out of your mouth. Learn to control your tongue. Learn to bite your tongue so that out of the same mouth doesn't proceed both blessing and cursing. Instead, instead, learn to control it. And then verses 11 and 12, what James does is he illustrates his point. By the way, if you haven't seen throughout the book of James, he is always illustrating his points. He's a good preacher. He's going to illustrate what he says. He's going to apply what he says by way of illustration. And so in verses 11 and 12, he's going to take nature and he's going to apply this point of pollution. He's going to apply this point of both blessing and cursing to that of nature. He says this, does the fountain send forth both sweet water and bitter water? Does the fig tree, my brethren, bear olives and berries, vines and figs? And then he goes on to say, can a fountain both yield salt water and fresh water? That doesn't make any sense, right? None of those things make sense. And he says the same thing for the Christian. It shouldn't be of you. You shouldn't have your mouth speaking both blessing and cursing. You shouldn't hug the Christian on Sunday and stab him in the back on Monday. You should learn to speak truth, but to speak it in love. That's our job as believers. And you may say, well, Pastor Nick, you don't understand, though. I, I have this, and I talked about it a few weeks ago. You might think you have the spiritual gift of speaking your mind. Or you might think you have the spiritual gift of sarcasm. Some of you think you have the spiritual gift of the problem pointer outer. Anybody, anybody feel like, ah, I got the spiritual gift to point out all the problems? You don't understand, Pastor Nick. God's given me that spiritual gift. I'm to point out the problems. You see, when I get to work, guess what I do? I find everything that's wrong with the situation. I mean, how many of you are like that today? You don't have to admit it. How many of you know somebody like that today? You probably have somebody in your family that's the problem pointer out. They're the ones pointing out the problems. They're the ones coming to Thanksgiving and saying, mm, the turkey's not cooked well. <laughs> you know, ah, oh, that stuffing's not done right. I don't like that situation going on there. They say the world's falling apart. They're always pointing out the problems. Listen, I don't know who needs to hear this today. God has not given you the gift of problem pointing outing. <laughs> He hasn't given you the gift to point out all the problems. He's given you the gift to not just speak cursing, but to speak only blessing, to speak the truth out of your mouth, but to speak it in love, to speak it in love, to tell the truth and to tell it in love. What do you think our community, not only in the church, not only this community, but what do you think the, the, the local community would look like the, the people down the road, down North Church Street, down 150. What do you think that area would look like? Reedsville, what do you think the, these towns around us would look like if we chose to speak blessings out of our mouth? If we chose not to curse, not to speak ill, not only of our brethren that are in this room, but also of those who are lost. What do you think it would look like? I think it would radically change the face of our community. I mean, if we really decided to say, I'm not going to speak both blessing and cursing out of the same mouth, I'm going to decide to be on the straight and narrow. I'm going to decide to speak what is true, what is right, what is honest, but what is love. To be consistent is the key. To be consistent. I remember when I first got into ministry, I uh, 
was involved in at this church. I was involved in some of the deacons meetings that were taking place, not this church. And uh, it's been many, many years ago. And we were involved in these deacons meetings. Well, there was this one deacon. By the way, deacons, let me just speak to you a second. I'm kidding. There's this one deacon that just always wanted to cause the problems. Now, they always say that it's the pastor's kids and the deacon's kids that cause the problems. No, sometimes it's the pastors and the deacons that are causing the problems, all right? I've learned that throughout uh, the, the, the ministry, and that's not here, by the way. None of you are the problem, okay? Let me just say that. But at this church, there were some problems. There was this deacon at this church. He served in every single ministry. He'd come on Sunday morning. He'd come on Sunday morning. He'd serve in the kids' ministry. He'd pass the bulletins out. He'd shake the hands. He'd hold the door for the the people. He'd sing in the choir. He'd do all of these things. He'd get up and he'd speak blessings about the church. And then he'd get in the deacons' meeting. I watch it. He'd start to speak ill of all the problems going on. And I said, out of the same mouth, it's proceeding both blessing and cursing. How can you say one thing from the pulpit? How can you say this and then get it behind the closed doors and say that? And you say, well, I can't believe that person would do that. The problem is is that many of us are guilty of the same thing. If we're honest today, we also can find ourselves speaking both blessing and cursing out of the same mouth because it is polluted. And we have to be careful and say, well, Pastor Nick, what do I need to do? What, What is it that I need to do in order to control my tongue? Here, in just a few minutes, let me give you three things. Three things, if you want to learn to tame your tongue... If you want to learn to control it so that your mouth doesn't speak pollution, it's not perverse, and that you can control it in such a way because it's powerful to use it in the right way, what are some of the things I need to do? Three things. Three things here. Number one, number one, learn to guard your words. Learn to guard your words. Proverbs 21, 23, it's a great verse to memorize talks about the power of the tongue and the struggle that you're going to have in your life, but then to, to surround it, to guard what you say. Psalm 141 verse 3 says this, Set a guard, O Lord, over my lips. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Man, what a good verse to memorize in your life today. Lord, guard my lips. Guard my tongue so I don't say anything I shouldn't say. Number one, make sure that you guard your words. Number two, number two, and if you guard your words, you'll do this one well, mute your words. Learn to mute your words. I've regretted a lot of things in my life that I've said. I've never regretted the things I haven't said. (laughs) Have you ever thought about that? I've regretted a lot of words that I've said, but when I've guarded my mouth, when I've guarded my tongue, I've never regretted it. I like what Abraham Lincoln said about this. He said, I've often regretted my speech, never my silence. You may regret what you say when you shouldn't say something, but you can never regret not saying something you shouldn't. You'll never regret not saying something you shouldn't. You'll always regret saying it, though. So learn to mute your words. Take the old adage, what is your mother tell you. If you can't say anything nice, what? Don't say it at all. (laughs) Uh, That's a good thing to practice, not just to your children and grandchildren, but also in your own life. Learn to mute your words. And then finally, finally, we should learn to sugar our words. We should learn to sugar 
our words. Miss Sarah Elledge always texts me about once a week to make me cinnamon rolls. I'm always like, add some more sugar. You know why? Because it tastes good. I want some more icing on the cinnamon rolls because it makes it sweet. It's the same thing with your words. Learn to guard it, learn to mute it, and learn to sugar it. Learn to sugar your words. Somebody said this, keep your words sweet. You never know when you'll have to eat them. Isn't that true? You'll never know when you'll have to eat them. So let me suggest just three things quickly to help you sugar your words today. Some of you in this room need to learn how to say, I'm proud of you. Dad's in the room, granddad's in the room. You need to tell somebody today in your life, you need to tell your son, your grandson, you're proud of them. Maybe it's long overdue for you to send a text, make a phone call, write a card, tell them that you're proud of them. I can think back over many things that my father-in-law has said to me. He's not here today. He usually comes on Sunday. He's not here today. But I think back to some of the moments that he said to me. And one thing I remember is when he told me when we first got married that he was proud of me. And that stuck with me throughout all these years. I can think about all the things my dad said to me. And many times my, my dad has given me so much advice and so good advice. But he's told me several times in my life he's proud of me. I remember that. It's the same thing for you. There's somebody in your life, dads, today that you need to say you're proud of. Mom, same thing for you. Who are you telling today that you're proud of them? Some of you also need to say, I forgive you. There might be somebody sitting in the pew across from you or in the room across from you that's hurt you, that's hindered your relationship with the Lord, and it's time for you to say, I forgive you. It's time for you to call that person and say, I forgive you for what you've done against me. It's time for you to go to the Lord and say, God, I want to let go of this bitterness in my life. Help me to forgive. And then finally, some of you need to say thank you. (laughs) Some of you need to find somebody in the room today that you can thank. You ever think about it, that uh, things don't just turn on here, like the lights don't just come on at uh, 9.30 and everything's great. I mean, there's people that get here at 6, 7 in the morning that are making sure things are straight there behind the scenes. When's the last time you thank Greg Smith for his work? When was the last time you told the guys in the sound booth that they do a good job? When's the last time you told the guys in the AV room they do a good job? When's the last time you told JT, even though he calls my boneless wings nuggets, when's the last time you told him thank you? How about the guys who play the instruments? Have you thanked them for their work? They get here early. I saw Josh Mounts get out of his car at 9.15 this morning as he walked up. I was watching him to make sure he wasn't going to do anything wrong before he walked into church. He got here early to make sure that everything was set up and practiced. When was the last time you thanked your BSF teacher that took the time to study God's Word? And by the way, when was the last time you thanked your pastor or pastors? I like Texas Roadhouse. I feel like I've just, I've lost you now. <laughs> My birthday's in February. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Find somebody to thank today. Hey, may, maybe, maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's something your spouse has done that you want to thank them for. My wife's so good at that, she'll thank me for the smallest things, and it helps. It's the same thing for you. Maybe you have a child that you need to thank today. 
Maybe your grandchild you need to thank today. Somebody in your life, find on your way out before you leave and thank them. Send them a text, write them a card, do something this week to say thank you. Sweeten your words. I promise you it will go a lot farther than speaking bitterness. You got it. Hey, I love you. I I appreciate the opportunity to speak that honestly. And I know that sometimes we can preach God's word and it can be harsh and and hard to hear, but all of us need to take some time to reflect on the fact that out of our mouths can speak pollution. And if we're not careful, we need to learn to control it so that we can become more like Christ. The tongue is powerful, it's perverted, and it's polluted. Make sure you learn how to control it. Let's pray together this morning. As the musicians come and make their place with every head bowed, every eye closed, I just want to give a moment uh, of as we're over just a few minutes, I want to just give some time for you to reflect on the preaching of God's word this morning as the Holy Spirit impacts your heart today. I don't want you to rush out of this room without asking the Lord to work in your life. Maybe you're here today and you say, Pastor Nick, I don't control my tongue. I don't control my mouth like I should. If you are honest with yourself, you would be with the rest of us. We don't always control the things we say. And we need to learn that the tongue is powerful. We need to learn that it's perverse. We need to learn that it's polluted so that we can control it. Friend, if you're here today and God's dealing with you and maybe something specific is on your heart, I want you to know that God will forgive. And you can ask the Lord there in your seat to forgive you of the things you have said. And you can ask him today to sugar your words so that you can say things that are nice, that are sweet, that are kind. But also want you to know the altar's open for you as well. If you want to spend some time up front, Uh, We have people here that will pray with you, encourage you, if you need to go to the Lord in prayer today. Father, we're mindful of your presence today. We know that through your word you speak. It's living and active. And I pray, Father, as the Holy Spirit works on hearts, that you will convict them, challenge them, challenge me to control our tongues so that we can grow and become more like you. And we ask this in your son's name. Amen.